0: Please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as uh, well as our friends at uh, First Baptist Church, Arco, Idaho, and also Kalispell Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Um, Today we continue our series, The Seven Churches of Revelation. Let's put our map up there, and it goes clockwise, Jesus' challenge to these seven churches, so a few weeks ago, Pastor Eric just did a great message on Ephesus. Uh, then I pre- Ephesus, which was the church that had lost its first love for Christ. Uh, then Smyrna I preached on, which is a church that was going through a great deal of suffering. Last Sunday talked about Pergamum, a church that compromised the truth, and now we come to the church at Thyatira, which is a church where tolerance became a bad thing. Uh, So we're going to see. Tolerance can be a good thing or a bad thing. But in the church at Thyatira, tolerance had become a bad thing. So let's kick in. Verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I ask um, our media pastor, Pete Wilson, I said give me the wimpiest picture of Jesus that you can find is this is what he came up with and and feel Don't feel bad if this is hanging over your living room uh, sofa or something like that. Don't don't feel bad, okay? Because this picture is actually a pretty typical picture of Jesus, all right? Doesn't look very Middle Eastern, uh, just kind of looks super, super nice. And please, don't get me wrong, if you have a picture like that, that is awesome. And we love the loving Jesus and the one that heals the brokenhearted. And, and, And we love him. And, oh, that's what's made the difference in our lives. And we're so grateful for him. But just remember that this same Jesus is also the one whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, whose eyes are on fire. He sees everything going on in the universe and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He brings judgment with him. Where there is injustice, he will bring justice. Where there is evil, he will someday eliminate it. Where there is bad, he will replace it with good. Where injustice has been done, where wrong is being done, he will make that wrong right and he will bring justice to unjust situations. And so we need to remember that the same Jesus is the one whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And you can base your life on him because he is in control and command of everything that happens in your life and in the universe. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now, we're studying Thyatira. And it was known for its many trade guilds, including weavers and dyers. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, we read about the first European convert. Uh, Christianity started on the African and Asian continents, uh, right? Where Asia, the continent of Asia and continent of Africa come together, that's where Christianity started. But the first time it went to Europe, the European continent was in Greece, and the first European convert was a woman by the name of Lydia. And the Bible says she was from the city of Thyatira, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, the persecution for the people of Thyatira came because to, in order to have a job, you had to be a member of the trade guild. That's the only way you could have a, jo- a job, is to be a member of the trade guild. And if you were part of the trade guild, you had to worship idols. You had to engage. They had ritual worship of idols and engage in sexual immorality as a part of the worshiping of those idols. And so many of the Christians said, we can't do that. So they couldn't be part of the trade guild. It's similar to countries uh, today that are communist. And many times there's only so far you can go in that society if you're not a member of the Communist Party. And so the Christians just can't get the best jobs. They can't get the best educational opportunities. There's kind of a ceiling on that because of their following of Christ. Well, the same thing was true in Thyatira. And so many of them were poor and starving and going through hard times because they refused as a matter of conscience to be a part of these trade guilds because of their involvement in the occult and and idol worship and sexual immorality. Now some of the Christians said, however, you know what, is it really that bad to worship Jesus and to worship idols at the same time? And it just helps us all get along. Or to worship Jesus and to engage in sexual immorality at the same time. It just helps us all get along. And that's what Jesus is gonna call them out on. Now, remember the pattern. Jesus encourages, he challenges, and then he encourages again. So now's the encouragement part. Verse 19 I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Isn't that awesome? Uh, that's one of our core values as a church, is that growing people change. This is one of our five core values, that if we're growing in, in Christ, we will be changing in Christ. Things will change in our heart and in the way we live. And so Tyra, boy, that was one of their core values. Back to verse 19 again. Uh, think about that, our, their deeds. Are we doing more than we did at first in our Christian life? Our love, are we now doing more than we did at first? Our faith, do we have more faith than we did at first? Are we serving God and others more than we did when we first came to Christ? Are we persevering more than we did at the first? Now let's camp on perseverance for a moment. I'm just going to cut to commercial for just a moment and uh, have a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, Tonight, uh, and I'm going to talk about some of my favorite movies, uh, three of my favorite movies, two I've seen, one I haven't seen yet, but I just know it's going to be my favorite movie. Uh, Tonight. Um, one of the best Christian films ever, uh, I can only imagine. And everyone's welcome here. Everybody, it's sponsored by Men's Ministry, but everybody's invited. And we're going to have popcorn in here, and, 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 and that movie is just just amazing. And really encourage you to catch this and maybe bring a friend uh, along with you. And there's an alternative program for children with their own uh, film, kids film, and, and childcare and that kind of thing. And it talks about the hope of heaven. And that song is one of the most powerful that talks about the hope of heaven. But then another movie that's one of my favorites is called Unbroken. And it's the true story of Louis Zamperini. And just, what you can't believe one person lived this life. You you just can't believe it. And so uh, he, as a young man, becomes an Olympian. He goes to the Berlin Olympics. Hitler sees him run and asks to meet him. Then he becomes a soldier in, in World War II, and he's on a navigator on a plane flying over the Pacific. It crashes, and he sets the record for the longest survival, most number of days surviving in a raft that anybody had ever survived, only to be captured by the enemy and put into a concentration camp where he is brutalized until the end of World War II. And in, the, in that movie uh, that was directed and produced by Angelique Jolie, uh, I received three Oscar, three Academy Award nominations and directed and produced by Angeli Jolie. Th- this, this, this movie stops when he gets back to the United States after the war. Well, um, uh, the perseverance, the, I, I can only imagine it's about the hope of heaven, and Unbroken is about the perseverance of getting there. There's a Christian sequel coming out next month called Unbroken Path to Redemption. And if you've read the book, you realize that they really stopped the movie at the two-thirds part. And as far as being a Christian, a Christ follower, the most exciting part is the last part of his life. That's way more exciting. And so this Christian sequel is coming out next month. And our church, Purpose Church, was involved in the making of this film in getting this produced in this project. And so next Sunday, Louis Zamperini's son is going to be here with us at our church service. Uh, Is Luis Amperini is in heaven now, but his son is still here, and he's going to be with us here, and we'll interview him about our church's role uh, in this movie project of this movie that will be out in theaters uh, next month. Now, we're still going to have a regular service and a sermon. I'll continue our series um, on Sardis, the, the next city of the seven churches of Revelation, uh, but it's going to be an extra exciting day, and so I really, really encourage you uh, to be here next Sunday. It is, it is just going to be awesome, and uh, I can't wait to see this movie, and it's so exciting that our church had a role in that. Now, Jesus does the encouragement part. Now he does the challenge part. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophet. Now, this word tolerate, tolerate, or being tolerant, um, it is a good word. It is a wonderful word. Um, We have been praying today for racial reconciliation with the marches going on in Washington, D.C. And and racial um, uh, toleration, uh, being uh, racially tolerant, is something that we, uh, as Christ followers, we should take the lead in this. We should be at the, the point of this. And and being part of the solution and the help within American society and culture, but I'm talking more about tolerating toleration in the in the being tolerant in the arena of ideas, and see the old de- definition of being tolerant meant that you had your ideas and I had my ideas, and we respected each other uh, for having different ideas. We could openly debate those ideas. We wouldn't kill each other for having different ideas. Uh, But we were all seeking something called absolute truth. And that is, we would debate each other trying to figure out what was absolutely true, what was true, and what was false. Now the problem is, today, the definition of being tolerant has changed. And the definition today is, you have your ideas and I have my ideas, and all ideas are equally valid as long as they are sincerely held. There's not truth and error that we debate and try to figure out together. Everybody's truth is is relevant to them or relative to them. And so I can never say that what you're teaching or saying is wrong. And you can never say what I'm saying or teaching is wrong. It's all equal. Now, it's interesting that we only do this in the most important area of life. We don't do this in math. Two plus two still equals four. We don't do this in science. We believe some things are true and some things are not true. The earth is either flat or, or it's, it's spherical. I mean, we, we don't do that in any other area of life except for the most important one, which is this, is there a God or is there not a God? And if there is a God, uh, how do we please him? And is there eternity or is there not eternity? Is there afterlife or is there not afterlife? And if there is an afterlife, how can we make sure we end up in the right place for eternity? Would you agree those are the most important things to figure out? And yet somehow in all other areas we say there's truth and then there's area error, but then in the most important area of life we say make it up as you go and it's all cool. And all truth is equal. Uh, You can believe in following Christ because there are thousands of fulfilled prophecies to great detail over thousands of years. There's evidence for the resurrection. There's evidence for the miracles of of Scripture. There's the miraculous nature of God's Word, the Bible. And you can compare that to somebody who just made up something about aliens coming into the world and taking over the bodies of our leaders, and it's all equally true. And there's some crazy stuff people believe out there, all right? Uh, There's some crazy stuff. It's, it's said that if you don't believe in something, you'll believe in anything. And so we're to say that there is no truth and error. Everybody's truth is their own, and it's all relative. And as long as you hold it sincerely, everybody's going to get along just fine. Uh, Jesus says that there is a time to be tolerant and a time to be intolerant. And he says here that you tolerate this woman Jezebel. Now, I don't believe her name literally was Jezebel. Uh, But she was the spirit of Jezebel. If you read in that passage, you can read it on your own from 1 Kings 16. The most notorious couple in Scripture were Ahab and Jezebel. Because they influenced Israel to commit sexual immorality and to worship idols. And so if it it had been a, a guy that was this false prophet, he would have called him Ahab. Because it's a woman, he calls her Jezebel. And he says, you have tolerated that woman Jezebel. You've said, well, who am I to judge her teaching?'" She seems like such a nice person. The people that follow her seem like such nice people. We'll just tolerate it and let it go. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food that is offered to idols. Uh, Verse 21, God is merciful. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality. But she is unwilling. So watch what happens. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. Jesus here is showing us the stages of immorality. And when we follow after a path of immorality and say, you know what, we can worship Jesus and worship idols at the same time. We should worship Jesus and commit uh, immorality at the same time. Here are the stages. He'll cast her on a bed of suffering. and, And so much suffering in our culture and society comes from immorality. Now, the media will never call attention to that. But so much of the suffering in our culture and society comes from immorality. It's rooted in immorality. And so I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Now, that doesn't mean her literal children, but it means that those that follow this path will end up spiritually dead someday, or even sometimes uh, doing our own thing, and immorality leads to physical death as well as spiritual death eventually. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you uh, according, to your, according to your deeds. Verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, so there are three groups. There were the people that followed the teaching of this Jezebel, this false prophetess. There were people who didn't follow her, but they tolerated her and said, live and let live, it's okay, she'll do her thing, we'll do our thing. And then there were those that did not tolerate her teaching. Now I say to the rest of you of Thyatira... To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Now, this is a subject for another time. But one of the major uh, cults of the early church in the first and second, second century was called Gnosticism. Gnosis is from the Greek word knowledge. And they taught that there were deep knowledge, deep secrets. And if you got a hold of this deep understanding, you would understand that it's okay to live for Jesus, but also live any way that you please. And it's called Gnosticism, and it was very prevalent, and it's the background to a lot of the New Testament fighting this particular cult. And many cults have so-called deep secrets, deep teaching, and when you understand that, you will be enlightened. He says, you have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have, the truth, until I come. And I believe that's why when many of you were invited to church this morning. All the other is just kind of noise. You're, you're going through a hard time in your life right now. You're discouraged by uh, the lack of truth within our culture and society. You, you feel brokenness because of what's going on within the world. And Jesus invited you here, right here, right now. Or you're watching online. Or you're watching in Arco, Idaho. Or you're watching Kalispell, Montana. Jesus invited you here to hear this word, hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to the truth. I know it's hard to hang on to the truth in the day in which we live. I know it's hard to hang on to the truth in the culture and society in which we live. But Jesus says, hey, follower of Jesus, Christ follower, hold on to what you have until I come back. That's God's message to our church, to the church of Thyatira, to the church, to Purpose Church, uh, the church of, of Pomona. Th- this is his message to us today. Hold on until I come. Uh, this is a true story from a newspaper in New England. On a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, Henry Dempsey, the pilot, heard an unusual noise near the rear of his small aircraft. He turned the controls over to his co-pilot and went back to check on it. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. The rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff and it flew open. Dempsey was instantly sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated an open door, radioed the nearest airport requesting permission to make an emergency landing he reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane, and he requested a helicopter search of that area of the ocean. After the plane landed, they found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft, still alive. Somehow he caught the ladder and held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew at 200 miles an hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet. Then at landing, he kept his head from hitting the runway, which was a mere 12 inches away. It took the airport personnel several minutes to pry his fingers from the ladder. A poor guy. Uh, he became a legend of Maine aviation. Uh, his name was Henry, so they called him Hang-On Hank. They a the legend of Hang-On Hank. And that's why God invited you here today. He says, hang on, Bill. Hang on, Mary. Put your name in there. Hang on, Memo. Hang on, Maria. Uh, hey, hang on. Hey, hang on. He invited you here to say, hold on and put your name in there. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to the truth until I come back. Verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, uh, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like a pottery. This is a prophecy about Jesus' second coming found in Psalm 2. Not a prophecy about his first coming. His first time he came, he suffered death at the hand of the Roman Empire. And that's why we share the Lord's Supper, to remember his death on the cross. So the first time he came, he came as the humble servant, the sacrificial lamb. But the next time he comes back, he will come back with fire in his eyes and burning feet. The next time he comes back, he will come back with an iron scepter and will dash those that are evil to pieces like poverty. He will deal with injustice and replace it with justice. He will deal with evil and and replace it with right. He will deal with wrong and replace it with that, which is his kingdom. Just as I have received authority uh, from my Father, verse 28, I will also give that one the morning star. The morning star. He says at the end of Revelation, Jesus refers to himself as the bright and morning star. And he says to those that hold on, I will give you the morning star. The morning star is the planet Venus, which signals the coming of a new day. Here it refers to the promise of resurrection at Christ's return. He says, oh, Christ follower, I know you're discouraged this morning. I know it's tough. Whatever you're going through in your life, it's discouraging. But hold on until I come back, and I will give you the morning star. That's worth holding on to, isn't it? Anybody wants to say amen to that? That's worth hanging on to. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, just before we kind of go into our final home stretch here, can we put the map back up here? And I think this is an interesting insight. Um, I want to talk about the difference between Ephesus that Pastor Eric preached on a few weeks ago and Thyatira. And, And I find it very interesting. You know, I've always taught and believed that Christians are tempted in different ways. And it's always very interesting to me, well, if you get into a small group and you are in a safe place where you can kind of share what's going on in your life, and I always find it very interesting to say, hey, this is what tempts me or whatever, and somebody will say, really? That, just doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. But then they'll share something in an area where they're tempted, and I'll be like, man, I, 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 I've never been tempted in that area in my life. And it's very interesting how we all have kind of different temptations they're almost like custom made by satan just for us okay it's it's kind of a bummer but that's the way it is but you know what i find from the study our study of the seven churches i think churches are tempted different ways at different times Maybe not always in, in certain ways, but maybe certain times. For example, our in our church's history, we're at age 148, and maybe we're tempted differently at age 148 than we were tempted when we were 10 years old, or 20 years old, or 30 years old. And you can see that in these two churches. Ephesus, that that Eric preached on, had lost its first love for God, for other people, and for the lost. Just didn't care that much anymore. But Ephesus had no tolerance for false teaching. It was very interesting. They were were very strong on no tolerance, a a zero tolerance policy for false teaching. Very strong on the truth, but their hearts had grown hard towards other people and towards loving God. Thyatira, on the other hand, had not lost its first love. It, It was more in love with Jesus than it was years ago. But it was tolerant of false teaching. And I find it interesting. Do do you find in your life that different people are tempted in different ways? And some people are so hard on the truth. And some churches are so strong on the truth and intolerant of false teaching. But their hearts are hard. And they don't really break for the lost and for people that Jesus loves. And then there are people, and they're great lovers. And they love everybody But they open up their arms a little too wide and bring in some influences that they shouldn't bring. And so the key that we need to pray, here's how we need to pray for our church. Oh God, give us a balance, a healthy balance between generous and forgiving love and a proper intolerance for sin and heresy. Anybody want to say amen to that? In your prayer time, that's just a good assignment. Let's all be praying this week. Lord, help Purpose Church. Because we all get out of balance. I I know in my Christian life, it's like a pendulum, and it goes back, and then I react, and it goes back here, and churches do the same thing. And so let's pray, Lord, help us as a church to be balanced between a generous and forgiving heart that loves people and loves those that are not following Jesus as well as those that are following Jesus, um, but also balance that with a proper intolerance for sin and for heresy. Uh, Chuck Swindoll writes, over the last several decades, tolerance has become one of the greatest virtues of our increasingly secular society, which teaches that everyone's beliefs, values, and lifestyles should be accepted. After all, some may reason, isn't Christianity all about love and grace? If you don't approve, just keep quiet. Don't rock the boat. If you don't like it, there's the door. Tolerance has become such a powerful force, the only thing that can't be tolerated is intolerance. If you turn on the television or radio, you'll quickly observe that much of the virtue of tolerance has been twisted. A culture that tolerates evil calls disagreement phobia. Taking a stand is considered hate. Conviction is seen as fanaticism. Christian doctrine is regarded as discrimination. As in many watered-down churches today, this situation also prevailed in the ancient church of Thyatira. Now I just want to do a quick review because I want to save time for, um, for the Lord's Supper for for Communion, uh, because after all, praise God, the salmonella outbreak is is uh, cleared up. It's it's a miracle that that's happened. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can ask somebody who was what I'm talking about. But don't worry about it. There's nothing. That was all, just a lie told to me, a blatant lie given to your pastor uh, as to why we didn't have communion last Sunday, and we're having it today. So, so anyway, um, let, me just, let me just wrap up with this. Um, uh, kind of a, there, there's the, the good, uh, there's good, to- like we talked about last Sunday, there's kind of a theme going on here. We talked about good compromise last Sunday and bad compromise. And we've talked about good tolerance today and bad tolerance And then there's bad judgment and there's good judgment. The favorite verse of most Americans, and the one verse they really know from Scripture, is Judge not that ye be not judged. That's like the favorite verse of American culture and society. And and if we go to Luke 6, verse 37, let's just pop that up there. Luke 6, verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. But what's very interesting about this, so is judgment always wrong? No, there's bad judgment, and there's good judgment. And what I find so fascinating is that right after Jesus says, don't judge and you'll not be judged, just six verses later, and I didn't include this in your study outline, so write this down, verses through through 45, just six verses later, he talks about judging. All right? So he can't mean that all judgment's bad. He says some judgment is bad. Um, but, But some judgment is good. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. So Jesus says we're to judge the fruit of the tree. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the store stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so bad judgment, just to summarize, and you can read these verses on your own and and just kind of make it a little extra study time before uh, you go to bed tonight. Um, Bad judgment is arrogant, prideful, and harsh. It's hypocritical. And so these verses, as you read them, it'll say that bad judgment is arrogant, prideful, harsh, hypocritical. And this is interesting. Read the 1 Corinthians 5 passage. Bad judgment is judgment outside of the church. Very interesting. Paul says, we're not supposed to judge people that don't follow Jesus. They're just doing what comes naturally when you don't follow Jesus. How many of you did certain things when you didn't follow Jesus that just came as natural as falling off a log, you know? Yeah. How many of your life got way more complicated when you followed Jesus? Yeah, I mean, it was just natural. I mean, before I came to Jesus, just doing certain things was just Do what comes naturally, you know, just doing what comes naturally, like the old musical Broadway musical said. Just doing what comes naturally. And and, and now it's hard. Now you're swimming upstream. But you know what's interesting? Paul says, don't judge people outside the the church. He says, we're supposed to judge those within the church. Now that doesn't mean in hypocritical, arrogant, prideful ways. We, we, We judge inside the church with humbleness and gentleness and kindness and graciousness. For the purpose of spiritual growth, we're better together. That's another core value. We are are better together. Because, see, without each other, I will just live with my blind spots until the day that I die. I've got so many blind spots. If we just gave you guys a piece of paper, you could list a bunch of blind spots that you can see clearly about me, but they're off to the side and I can't see them. Such as I'm already over time in my sermon, and uh, we need to get down to the Lord's supper. Okay, so you see, oh, the the pastoral staff. Oh my goodness, those that are that are those that are pastors. At our church. You give them a piece of paper, and they'll tell you what Glenn's blind spots are. But here's the beauty: I don't have to be a prisoner of my blind spots till the day I die. Just stumbling through life, making one mistake after another. No, when we when we. Uh, I, I I know it sounds crazy. But when we judge each other, when we hold each other accountable, when we encourage each other to, to grow and, and, to, and to growing people change, then we have the joy of not being a prisoners of our blind spots. We have a saying here at Purpose Church, your blind spots will rule you. And what a joyful thing to be a part of a small group where people level with you so that we can grow and address those things so we can become healthier and healthier as time goes on. Now, the Lord's Supper, that's a perfect segue into the Lord's Supper because one of the things we do when we share the Lord's Supper is we're quiet before the Lord, especially during the bread portion of, of, of communion, and we say, Lord, is there anything you want to shine a light on that's a blind spot for me? And then we confess it, and we say, Lord, would you help me to overcome that area, uh, those those hidden sins that I'm not even aware of. Would you help me in that, Lord? Everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, Glenn, how can I know if I've done that? Or if I'd like to do that today, how would I go about doing it? Uh, on In front of you in the book rack, you'll see a little card that says resource. How to become a follower of Jesus. And you read through the steps that the Bible talks about. And then a little suggested prayer. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past or you'd like to pray it today, you are very welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper um, with us as we... Uh, as we remember and as we honor him. You can receive him privately in your heart, but then you show it outwardly by the receiving of the cup and of the bread. So let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.